I'm James, and this is Producing Fun, a podcast about making games from a product perspective. Welcome to Producing Fun. This week, I talk to Chris Eggett. Chris is the editor of Tabletop Gaming Magazine, the UK's largest board game, RPG and miniatures game magazine. And he also runs the publication's own podcast. Being at the helm of this title gives him a unique perspective on how the industry works. His job sifting through a vast swathe of game-related news, developments and new releases gives him a broad view about what's really going on that's very different from a designer or publisher. And that's why I thought he'd make an excellent guest for episode two. I wasn't wrong. But in the end, we didn't talk about the current game scene that much. Instead, we spent more time discussing more important and fundamental topics. As I suspected, Chris had a huge amount to say about how we should talk about games, which is critical if we're going to get a better understanding of how to craft these boxed experiences. But he's also very honest about what limits us from talking about them in the same way as other creative disciplines. Indeed, honesty is what I really enjoyed about this conversation. We got to steer into some slightly dangerous ground by having an open and upfront chat about more controversial topics that I hadn't really prepared for, like the hobby's off-and-on obsession with objective reviews, or the more contentious issue of Kickstarter previews. I'm talking here both about their cold commercial value as advertising and their murky ethical questions, both issues that rarely get the nuanced treatment I think they need. That said, while I think we do a better job than many of having a very transparent conversation about this, I wasn't completely satisfied. It's something that would repay a more detailed exploration in the future, supported by more hard data. There's a lot I enjoyed in this conversation. Most illuminating for me was the revelation of how different my definition of product is from many in the industry. But Chris provides valuable insights into a range of topics. How and why his analog magazine thrives in the digital world, great advice for publishers looking to get the attention of media, and a taster of what's to come at the magazine's upcoming Virtual Spring Showcase. Anyway, it's time to get on with the interview. We join just as Chris is explaining why strong opinions about games matter so much. Even, even if you don't enjoy opinions, you know them well enough to know like a, friend, like a, a friend's recommendation um, that uh, Chris doesn't like this aspect of Roland Wrights. So next time... Uh, he says, this is rubbish because of this. I can ignore that bit. And I can look at the other bits he said and said, actually, that sounds great for me. Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. Um, well, I mean, if we think about the wider review world going mm. way outside of board games, we get yeah. to, um, uh, for example, restaurant reviews. That, oh, sure. Still the name of the, the most famous person uh, I can think of in restaurant reviews in Britain is A.A. Gill. Yeah. And uh, opinionated does not even begin to capture yeah. like, the, 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 that. So I think that's really interesting that in other spaces, there's this more explicit grasping of we really want to read people who have strong opinions. Yeah. Which, and I'd like to know what you think about that in terms of what we get in board games, where you still get these occasional discussions about objective reviewing. And yeah, which is nonsense. Well, it is, right? Straight up, it's nonsense. <laughs> because an objective review can only be a description of the components at best, right? And that's if you assume we have some sort of philosophical worldview where there's a possible to have some sort of guaranteed truth, then at least we can yeah. say these are the components in this box. So there's no way that um, uh, there's no way that that anything about uh, I like about how well the game plays could possibly be objective. But why do you think it is that the game space still has a strong interest in that? 
um, well, in strong opinions or in the uh, description star review. Well, it, it seems it seems very obvious that what a magazine would have to tend towards, mm. in my mind, thinking about this from a uh, again a kind of evolution of market mm. perspective is towards being pretty opinionated because that's the way that all of these other more mature areas um, are like. We've, we've had restaurant reviews. I, I would assume the first restaurant reviews newspapers, I don't know how old they are, but I could imagine mm. they could go back to the 19th century. Mm. Whereas people, no one was writing a magazine about tabletop games, as mm. I understand it, even 30 years ago, let alone, right? And, and actually, yeah. when, when was the magazine founded? Uh, it was, oh, uh, some five years ago, I think. Right, so very, very recent. Um, comparatively yeah so what is it that that means that we haven't rapidly evolved towards the status where everyone's like of course uh, reviews are really opinionated and they're all about opinion i th i think um that is the uh central the central problem in mm. game reviews which is that we are we are still looking at something that is ultimately a product right, um, okay. so obviously having a lovely meal um you're not re you're not reviewing um the freshness of the fish i mean you are in some ways mm. but you're not reviewing the components of the meal um you're mm. reviewing the experience in some way and the same with with film you know you can say you can say objectively this is a beautiful scene or or subjectively but we you know we, we can all broadly agree this is a beautiful film well the film has, like has technical elements where we can say that yeah. things are and again, I, I wouldn't say they're objective exactly, but they're slightly no, closer no. to some sort of standardized notion of technical competence in certain spheres. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, it's in focus, you know. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That, no, that, that is a pretty basic one, right? And yeah. actually, yeah. certain degrees of shot composition change less radically over time in terms of what is good or not versus other elements. So exactly. that, 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 make, that makes sense. So, so you, but you, but you, what you're really looking for there is the experience you're going to have. Yeah. Um, and that's um, something that we all actually know is what games are about. Yeah. But when, we, when it comes to sit down, sitting down and doing a review, because we are uh, in such a kind of like um, consumerist market, and just in the sense of uh, it's about often for people, it's about buying and owning a thing as much as it is um, playing the games in some in some respects because we, because we have things like kickstarter which give us these really long lead times to actually playing it and we just want to talk about it anyway so this is the only thing we yeah. can do yeah. and when you finally get it you want to say here's the stuff um and i guess i guess that's where it comes from i think i think it's just because we are in a world of um wanting um not even wanting but uh we're kind of trapped with the idea that um, these are products we're buying and not experiences necessarily. Mm, um, yeah, which I, 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 as I said before, we, before we started this, I think this is maybe sort of maybe the central failure of all games writing at this point, which is we're um, while yeah, magazines like like our own, um, they we we're always attempting to give you opinions. We, we don't do reviews, which are descriptions of the game. Um, we we tell you how it makes you feel. We tell you how, how to play it a little bit, just a rough idea to so you get a sense of the kind of thing you're going to do. Because we're talking to a very literal audience anyway, we don't need to do the how-to guide. Um, uh, but I think it's the fundamental failure of all games writing that we've none of us have quite got there in terms of saying, finding a new language, finding what we want to say. Mm, interesting um about our experiences that can be 
shared universally and understood universally and all this sort of stuff because we we all still do anchor ourselves to the product in some way yeah yeah um which is I suppose, obviously, interesting being on this podcast because we're, we're kind of talking about product yes, in itself, yes. aren't we? Indeed. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to. Um, so I'm kind of saying like we don't we don't want to talk about it in that way, um, but uh, but so actually, I, I want to stop on. you there for a second because I think that's a really interesting point when we come to the question of product and being on this yeah. podcast because I think doing this is already making me realize how different my definition of what product is compared to maybe mm. other people because to me in a game the product is the experience yes yeah so in, in some ways the components of a game to my mind are more like little pieces of engineering that build up the overall effect mm -hmm. so. and uh i will say that it contains a little bit more than experience and i suspect the interest that uh, that product in games should have from my my personal point of view is also in the questions around market positioning about how the game sits on a shelf how does it fit into someone's game night experience right you have to also design a game not only for can i make the best artistically brilliant game but also can i make a game that fits into the typical 20 minute filler slot before someone plays a main game of an evening mm -hmm. or and a question i've come up with magnate recently which is we've had to yeah. make the box bigger than it even was before and it was already <laughs> absurd right and um i realized we had to come up with the with the right make sure the box never got bigger than a calax shelf no absolutely yeah. right so that's like because that's effective a, a, a de facto design standard yes maybe people don't realize but it is right you can't have a game bigger than a calax otherwise you have to find some annoying nook somewhere in your board game collection that it can't go in the right place so to me the experience is is like 80% of what the product is. Mm -hmm. So yes. I think that's so I think that's really interesting what you're saying in terms of what there's this sense that you have a failure in the industry in general mm -hmm. to capture the kind of really important part of the game um at the same time that maybe people are thinking of products as boxes with bits in. Yes, I think that's right. Um uh, well, but I think that's because I think that's sorry. Then to come back to actually answer your original question there, which is because you've just answered it for me, um, which is um, it's because because it is a it's a very difficult thing to navigate that you end up with um, well, you end up with a couple of things. You end up with uh, the board game geek um, thread, which is a review thread, which is actually a description of the stuff in a box. Yes. Um, how long it takes to play? It took me slightly longer to play. That sort of thing. Um, you know, that you get that the, the the editorial or editorializing on the feelings they had in the game are limited. You know, yeah. Um, you so you get that, it's and, quite, because it's very it's difficult quite to do. Technical in nature, effectively. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. It's like that. It's more. If I'm going to make an analogy here, it's closer to the technical layer of understanding filmmaking. Yeah, exactly. Saying, yeah. What was the was the was the lighting good? Was the shot composition? You're not talking about how did the shot composition contribute to how I felt at that moment in the film? It's yeah. just, does that meet some basic aesthetic standards? Yes, that exactly. That you don't see on, in, a, in someone's crappy home video. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that that's, um, so that's, one, that's one thing that happens. And the other thing that happens, and this is something uh, Paul Grogan's tweeted about uh, mm. before, which is um, uh, sometimes people call his how to play videos um, uh, reviews interesting <laughs> which which is just but and the thing is um functionally actually actually showing people uh, telling people what's in the box and then how they played it and how long it's going to take um is what sometimes functions as a review 
on a, a board game geek thread say um so that's why you know obviously that's why people should read magazines like like mine um because of course you get, they should. yeah you, well, obviously they should but i mean just <laughs> but um but you know any any outlet that's trying to mm. move move beyond that um mm. because then you get to a point where you're we're all pushing towards a better kind of understanding of um of games and then you know eventually we end up in sort of waffly conversations about like you know uh play don't we um right which, yes uh and then but we won't go there today i don't think because well, it's just <laughs> I, I think because that is an area where you end up sounding like a french philosopher yes quickly, that's a problem right? yeah and, and i've and, and studying some french philosophy at university particularly around aesthetics it does get very circular <laughs> yeah. and long and long-winded so that's that's kind of challenging but yeah. i think it's important to keep anchoring back to this really mm. i think hopefully eminently practical point that everyone can understand which is that what we are saying here is that really it, experience is paramount how someone yeah. comes away from the table feeling a certain way about a game, yeah. which is a journey that they've probably been through. There have been highs and lows. Mm. There is drama. There are these things that we actually normally associate with nar more narrative arts that actually can yeah. be created in a game. They're yeah. different because it's a different medium. Yeah. But um, And then that's what we're really interested in. Really good tabletop writing is, is understanding those things and getting yeah. to grips with those things and being able to describe and evoke so that someone can read a review and think oh i can imagine how i might feel that's it and then and then that's what then we have this buying decision then comes on the back of rather yeah. than just it has x components yeah it, it takes y length of time to play and it technically uses a worker placement mechanic yes yeah. <laughs> right which yeah. is which tends to be the the limit of it and yeah. i i sure know that the telling me that it's got worker placement in it or telling me that there's auctions or telling me that something like that is mm rarely telling me very much it's like a very poor signal yes it, it, and, and it's very noisy in reality in terms of me working out the games that i i you know that i i prefer the most i mean i i know for example the things that tend to typify games are for me are more things like collaboration or mm. uh drama or the sense of stakes or these kind of things yeah. that aren't really don't belong to any technical quality that's it yeah um I mean, there are things like people, people do enjoy knowing that this is gonna this is a social deduction game. Yeah, you know, things things like that. I think I think that's important to include in this kind of thing. But that should be unless it's a very important part of the game. You don't, you don't need to spend too much time on that because mm. most people can find those definitions for themselves uh, in some way. And if you are in, in deeply enamored and um, enmeshed in the uh, industry, then you're going to know most of these terms anyway. There's, and that's that's all you need. You just need the little thing to hold on to, to say, oh, it's a worker placement game. I don't need another one. Yeah, <laughs> or, or, yeah. or whatever whatever it might be. So, um, so that's interesting. So that they are, there is a practicality to them. I think it's important not to throw the baby yes. out with the bathwater, I guess. Absolutely. What I'm saying. But yeah. those terms are, are things that... that, that <clears throat> somewhat limited i think social deduction is a very interesting example that you use because to me it strikes me that uh social deduction games games for example are more alike in many ways than perhaps picking to other genres even i would say worker placement uh there may be a few cards that get flipped over and there's lots of people saying well i think you're the so-and-so because of this thing and then people are having a huge argument about it right so i'm okay just for the listeners here i'm going to signpost this now i'm not a fan of social deduction games they didn't work it out from what i just said but um but it is, uh, I would challenge anyone, except for maybe the, perhaps the one exception of something like Blood on the Clock Tower, which I've heard is genuinely phenomenal, that, that they do share a very strong, such a strong familial resemblance that it's more like the reason that works is because that's quite a high signal to noise ratio in terms of understanding what your experience is going to be.
Would you agree? Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Yeah. And um, so, but what I like to do, uh, a bit, again, I'm going to come back to that review uh, of um, uh, this war without an enemy, um, right. yeah, yeah. The, the block war game, which I described as having an element of social deduction slash party game about it. Um, because obviously it's all about secret information because um, it's blocks ah, and the, you only see the back of the other person's blocks so you don't know what troops are in what area um, which means if you're the parliamentarians one of your goals and one of the ways to end the game if you can is to capture the king uh, so there's an element of um, ah, interesting. of trying to find the king and you don't know where he is and you think he's here and there's all sorts of stuff around like I think I outnumber them but if they're all cavalry I'm buggered and mm. stuff like this and that's it's not quite social reduction but it's got this it's got this sort of like weird kind of like um giddiness of a party game about it yeah. because, because you're because you're trying to work out where where certain things are and the choices you're making are done with like poor information and stuff like that yeah. um and so uh so i like i like to use them sort of counterintuitively in some ways just to say it's got because it it's got the feeling of this even if it's not got the mechanics of this, you know. So I think turning it on its head is quite useful as well. So as long as, long as you're talking to people who who are in the the right um, frame of mind for it. Um, so you're, you're explicitly using um, some of that more standardised, perhaps technical language. Yeah, it's almost technical language, I think. Yeah, I think so. Social deduction, and you're trying to use it in in sort of newer ways to try and prize out something that has hitherto maybe been undescribed a bit about the way that those games that makes me game. sound really smart i wish that's what my attention was <laughs> no it sounds it, it sounds like it is it sounds like exactly what it is this so is the bit that... where i sound like a, a cartoon cowboy and say i just call him as i see him <laughs> of um, course yeah of uh... course absolutely um well actually let's let's bring that in then to, to stay on this topic um mm. so we've got this problem at the moment that we could be doing a much better job of describing experience and i'm really interested yeah. in this one because from my point of view it's exactly how i feel i the, the only difference is the angle i'm coming at from things from are is i want to build the best possible products this is mostly defined by the overall experience that it creates mm -hmm. and that could that experience could start with seeing the box in the retail store that could mm -hmm. taking the shrink out the first thing that happens when you open the box all of those things for me are components of experience but it's, it's still experience that matters I'm interested in a kind of more fiendish way from the point of engineering it, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to, I do want to learn what is objective in the sense of what is, what is repeatable yeah. that tends to generate a certain kind of emotional reaction in order to craft an experience, right? So that's, yeah. that's my, I have that kind of interest in objectivity that's maybe very different to what people are interested in, but there's some element to that. So obviously it would be very useful for me to also have access to really good game writing because mm -hmm. it means that I'm able to understand better about experiences that games are creating. I could then study the game and see, oh, that's how they did that. So the question then becomes, how do we as an industry then get better? How are we gonna solve this problem of increasingly writing with more maturity about experience? I think it, it comes twofold. Um, so you know, we're we're a commercial magazine, really. I I, I you know I, t I talk a good philosophical game, I think, about this sort of stuff. But <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, but ultimately, we are we are a commercial magazine. But um, so we so I find myself in a, a weird place with this, where um, so if experiences you were talking about there, like unboxing the mm. the thing, um, unboxing the piece. I was just thinking just then. I was thinking I've got a copy of Super Fantasy Brawl over here, and that's mm. a game where I lifted the lid off. I went fuck. Because yeah. inside it would not only giant pieces of plastic, but 
um uh, which is just always fun right um and <laughs> also um they were all contained in game trace things that stacked beautifully on top of each other yeah. and it was just like my god there's a lot of stuff in here and um but can i write truly about that <laughs> yeah um you know and and i think and again this is another sort of bridging part where uh we're not quite able to use the kind of language we talk about mechanics with um or we try to talk about mechanics with for the component aspects of it which would also cure us of the descriptive problems right so oh interesting yeah so like um if we were somehow able to uh transpose that language to be able to cover that experience in a way um and and i suppose really you just have to say chris this is you know you've, you've got 600 words on a page um <laughs> so yeah. uh you're not gonna be able to um give over so much time to uh how it felt when you took things out of the box um but right there's just a practical limit there, there there's, there's a practical limit there, but, but, but also if we on the menu if but so it's going to be very hard for us to do that but in theory we if we could apply that kind of sense of mechanical language to the way or the way we try to talk about mechanical language that's aspiration mm. of that to the physical components as well because just to say to anyone listening to this is saying chris sounds like an absolute snob who just wants to play <laughs> some really dry engine building thing that's just about um uh shuffling things around and having this beautiful engine in his head that um uh, as uh, Cole Well said uh, to me once, I've always stuck with it, which is um, uh, a good Euro game is a game that gets an engine really, really, really hot and then pulls the plug um, at, at, on the last turn. Oh, uh, so, like and so he, he actually also mentioned this idea of um, taking a game you love, a Euro game you love, and playing it for one more round. Mm. So when the game ends, just if it will let you in, in some way, uh, just play it for one more round or set it up to play with a few too many blueprint cards or whatever it is just see what it does to you mm. the answer is usually it completely goes off the rails because they had to pull the plug then yeah um, exactly yeah um but there's no way and so what i gave you there was like a nice little description of um maybe how we feel when we're playing euro games yeah um, no, obviously it comes from one of the smartest people who it's the, maybe the idea of this this engine running really hot yeah the plug i think that's a really great description of how those games work to come from one of the smartest people in the industry it's not me it's yeah. cool <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and <laughs> yeah, i think he's done he's done that talk before so i think he just recycled that one to me but um but i think it's um you, you don't you don't junk good material right no, absolutely yeah, just, get as much uh, bring the value out of good material think, that's what the I thing is it stays in my head i mean you've done this to me before actually we we talked uh we played magnate once and we talked about how um I can't remember if you gave it to me or we just came to it through a discussion, but mm. um, how theme is the way is a way for people to balance on um, if the rules aren't clear, mm. but the theme is true to the mechanics, yeah. you can often lean on the theme to work out what the rule means. Completely. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, I think you gave me that. Um, yes, I think I think I remember us discussing this certainly at the time. Yeah, um, I don't um, know if it was as cleanly put as that, but certainly, um, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a, a very strong and enduring belief of mine. Certainly. Yeah. So the, there's these little things which I think are very good examples of our interactions with games that are um, they stay in my brain forever as well. That's the thing. these are just mm. lodged in there like shrapnel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, 
and yes, the, and to come right back around to it, if we could use that level of understanding on our components somehow, and the feelings we have of using the hard part of the product, you know, the hard, and the experiences that we get from them. And sorry, I'm using that sort of interchangeably mm. there of, of stuff and product and also experience. Mm. Um, but then that's kind of what I'm saying is we should be able to, if we could somehow bring those all together into a review that, or a, a piece, a anything and a, a, a think piece a, a personal essay so uh, what we're saying is so, you, so would, would it be fair to characterize what you're saying is is that partly then the way that we improve the writing is by allowing these things to merge is that kind of in, what you're thinking Some of those kind, or the way we talk about them to merge or to try and use the same techniques in some way i don't know if it's truly going to work but i think what i'm really saying is that there's part of there's there's a there's a fair few magazines who uh go to this sort of snobbier end of things and more theoretical side of things and then there's a lot of um uh then there's us who are, I, I believe we're kind of in the middle mm. um and then there's um on the other side of things which is uh the product review which might on bgg which might as well be on amazon right yeah completely. you know what i mean and like we're we're trying to we're trying to um and trying to thread that needle that encapsulates both ends of it and actually brings it to the middle <laughs> actually right. um and so and, just understand that middle again so there's the kind yeah. of the the reviews as you said that are more like lists of components we yeah. said on bg they could be on amazon and then the other end you're talking about i guess the kind of really deep game writing that's sort of like essays or, or you yeah just... i guess i guess essays i guess um just and uh, theoretical discussions of right. things okay, which, which is where you end which is where you end up in the you know um uh, uh, John Paul Sartre end of things. Um, right, although, yes, I see. Although yeah. maybe he's a bad example because he's an ex existentialist. So maybe that's actually a really bad example. So this is, I, no, I think this is really interesting. So to, I don't know if you'll agree with this concrete example. Oh. One of the people that I feel in industry who gets closest to that is Dan Thurow of Spacebiff. So um, I, I love his work and mm -hmm. uh, his patreon exclusive stuff is all like the deep theoretical essay pieces about the nature of how to represent get historical games or how how can historical events come to life and the, the problems that presents but he also obviously his main sock in trade is publishing reviews that are mm. um drawing on that tradition but obviously they're still talking about the ultimately a product and yep. giving you a sense of whether or not you would want to buy it would, would you agree with that um so i have not read his writing i must say immediately which is which is uh, the look of shock in your face um and uh, there's probably people just throwing their podcatchers out the window right <laughs> um, but uh, uh I, not, I would just say a very simple thing i would say to that is that not enough people have i think it's i think it's just something i just think you'd really enjoy it i think more than yeah. anything yeah i will i will i will hunt that down immediately but if 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 he's attempting to bridge that gap mm. then he's doing the work that we're all trying to do which is just trying to get a bit closer to um uh kind of i'm going to say legitimizing the, the medium but i've got bunny quotes going on through that uh for those at home um yeah. uh there's 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 something we need to do that takes us beyond product product review and also doesn't let us run off into academic nonsense right um, yes, which should, uh and that's that's tr uh, that's i guess what i'm trying to get to um there through my massive meandering answer there to <laughs> to your original very quite simple question of how do we do it <laughs> so how, how do you do it then well 
I start with an introduction. That's it, yeah. I write about three mechanics, and then I do a nice little funny end, and we publish it, which could be, which could have been the answer, I guess, to that one. To be honest, I, I get the sense that uh, most of the audience would be much more interested in the, um, by its nature, uh, meandering answer to some extent, in the sense that in the best possible way, that, that's, a, that's a, a really tough, nuanced subject that yeah. is really hard to unpick. So I kind of knew that the um, answer would naturally go in that direction yeah. because that, that's how it is. I, so I, I would love to, to talk more about that another time because I think this is an incredibly rich scene that we could get into more on. But before we do, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering, you mentioned, like we've got to remember this, we're, there's the cold commercial reality of the fact that yes. we have uh, 600 words to play with. You can't write one of your Jean-Paul Sartre-esque essays <laughs> about the nature of play every time you want to talk about uh, the latest spin on Uno. Uh, so um, so as a result, you've got these other kind of commercial pressures. And I think what would be really interesting, and I think is really critical to talk about in this podcast, is th that positioning of the, the magazine in general and how it sits in its marketplace. So um, I, I'd like to understand a little bit more about if we just kind of place it about, we've talked a bit about what well, it's not about doing essays, but firstly, mm -hmm. I, I guess I want to understand how does it sit next to other reviewers in from a more markets perspective? And what do you, what unique thing do you do uh, for your readers that no one else does? And, and, and how does it justify the place of the magazine in the marketplace? We are a, um, a uh, analog reading medium for a analog hobby. Mm. Uh, we are we are mm. we are on the thing that your hobby is made out of. It's made out of paper. Your 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 boards are made out of cardboard. You know, um, for the most part. Uh, and I think there is a very, uh, you know, I'm, I hate to bring it up, but the whole lockdown thing. Everyone feels very atomized, very dis des uh, yeah, desperate, desperately, desperately stretched thin in some sort of psychic societal way you know and Absolutely. um uh and i think that just having even just having a print magazine <laughs> yeah. that isn't um that you know that isn't uh you know the magazine isn't seo to hell um you know when you you know when you read an article online and you're like okay that heading didn't need to be there that's all the keywords um oh, God. Yes. and you're like I don't know how much I really trust this as much you know, in, in the way I, I would trust something that had just been written for the sake of me buying a product, you know, mm. also you, you can trust that we're, we're not writing for other people. That's the other thing. Um, you know, because, uh, you are buying the magazine, the magazine is the product that you're buying. Um, and so you, you can trust that we are editorially independent, which we are. I actually don't see what magazine, what sorry, I don't see what um, uh, adverts are going in. Right. Okay. Until yeah. a couple of days before we go to print, because it's none of my business. Yeah. We have a yeah. certain number of ad. We, I know there's a certain number of ad pages that I need to make an account for. You know, uh, make available. Um, you know, which support us more generally. Um, but they are is a general support. You know, it's uh, it's not. Um, we don't do advertorial. We don't do anything like that. Yeah. We don't do. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't even. Have, at the moment, although I don't think it'd be too bad to do something like a you know a sponsored painting guide or something like that, which we we do have we have a painting guide in the magazine, um, and uh, so you have this this deliberate I think the technical term is Chinese wall, uh, possibly yes I'm not sure which side of it I'm on um, I guess the Mongolians. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's um, it's not the, not the Great Wall rather than the, the, the Yuan Dynasty side or something. Uh, no, I think actually to be fair, the Yuan Dynasty were actually the Mongolians, so um, that's not going to help. Uh, what I know is is that the important term that I wanted to <laughs> is that is that scathing satire. I'm not sure. I think it's a term from um, no, it's just me showcasing historical knowledge. I think realistically, <laughs> uh, the the question uh, and then thinking it was terribly important to correct myself. There you go. Uh, the <laughs> The Chinese wall is a concept which I first came across in um, banking and financial sector, which is where mm. there are certain parts of banks which are not supposed to communicate with other parts. So ah, they, okay. I think they go quite far there. They have things like um, if you try to place an internal telephone call between two different departments, it will block the telephone call. So okay. there are things like that, that level. I'm, I'm assuming you don't really need to have that level at the magazine. Um, but um, but you do have this kind of Chinese wall yeah. where you are purely focused. You don't know what the adverts are going to be. You know there are going to be some ad slots for page layouts, but yeah. you don't otherwise. Uh, that, that's what you know. I don't know what's going to go on those pages. And sometimes I look at it and, um, and this is, uh, if I may, if I'm, yeah, I guess this is a moan about the industry in some ways, which is um, I want to hear about all of your games, not just the ones that you uh, can I can arrange an interview for. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like uh, I have occasionally seen an advert and gone, oh, that looks good. Why didn't they? <laughs> why didn't they ring me? <laughs> why, did, why, why did they book it? Why did they? Why great. did they book an ad straight away? You know, yeah. um, which is lovely. It's great because like um, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's it sports the mag, you know, and um, the ads look good. You can put whatever you like on it. But um, it's just a, it's just a, occasionally we have just, it's just a funny thing. We go, oh, that's interesting. And I do I do work with the sales team. Obviously, um, they they know what I'm putting in the magazine because obviously I have to know ahead um, and stuff like that, so they can you know I guess sell against it and stuff like that. But it's not my business. Um, so we have this. So you have, you have this Chinese war, and this is a big part of the part of what the magazine does is, is trust. Yeah, right. Because you can trust it. You're, you're actually paying for it in a very straightforward way. Yeah. You you pay a cover price. You get an opinion about about something. Yeah. And uh, that you can that you can rely on. There there's something in that you're saying as well, where there's almost an association with the analog nature of the medium itself. It yeah. sort of suits an analog publication and is that is that just because there's a kind of nice um aesthetic meeting of those two or is it more something practical about the fact that the kind of people that like board games are also the kind of people that like handling physical things um i think there's there's an element of that latter part certainly um i think um and and i think this is where i was going with the um yeah we're, we're locked screens and we have been for a year and a half or whatever yeah. yeah and just the idea that you wouldn't have to look at something on a screen right is, yeah that's is good and the, and this is me just doing the, the prelude to what the real place in the magazine is in everyone's hearts mm. and the truth is in reality in everyone's smallest room which is we are the premier lou reed i mean um we, there is longer articles for certain things and there's shorter articles for other things and uh if you just want to pick at a piece of it um we're there in a way that um uh is entirely on your terms uh, yeah. because of the physical medium uh there's no um uh and i'm not just talking about reading the toilet you can read anywhere it's fine yeah, um yeah. but uh there's none of the um i've got five minutes so i'll just check twitter uh, I'm, I'm having i suffer five psychic damage exactly suffer five psychic damage take two horror whatever you want to call it, it. like completely yeah yeah it's a god um, advantage over that um you know like that so uh in that way you know we we are um with that so that's 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 where i think our place really is is that we are um 
because we, you know, we're hopefully a good read. Hopefully, we're interesting, and um, we are also um, we're also your friends. In the sense of, uh, you know that um, if you read uh, Owen Duffy or Dan Jolin or Anna Blackwell or uh, whoever in any of the, any of our writers in the magazine, mm. you you you've read them for a few months now, and you got to know them a little bit. Ah, that's important. Yeah, and you you maybe read a feature on that they 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 put together. Uh, or you read their cardboard manifesto, which is our, like our opinion piece column, um, right, yeah, which is yeah. just a, a short blast of six hundred words of um, usually the smallest hill that people are willing to die on. Right, um, yes, of course. <laughs> um, uh, which is good. That's you know the sort of the, the right amount of levity for what we're going for. Um, uh, and they're always really interesting because people think way different to the way you think they think. Mm. Um, so uh, you read these people and you know them and you maybe interact with them on Twitter as well and, and that sort of thing. And that means when they come to recommend you something, you go, well, of course, Dan's going to like that. It's about Alien. Um, right, okay. Because that's his, yeah, maybe yeah. his favourite film. I think his favourite film is actually The Fly. I can't quite remember. Um, but um, uh, but you get to know these people and that means that you, you, you're kind of in communication with them in, in a way that you don't necessarily get on the product end of things you do get it in other magazines obviously in other yeah. uh, online platforms that do proper editorial um yeah. uh but in terms of the product reviews from a, a i say a random bgg mm. user you probably do know them in some ways but they're not gonna be able to play everything for you in the with the consistency that we can um so so, very very unlikely they'd be able to do that and so you're building up this sense of what of their taste effectively and that's then, part of it, yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's and who they are, and this can inform um, when you're reading the review. This is informing you about more about the game because actually, it isn't just a question of what they're writing; it's about what they're writing and what you know about them. That is it exactly, yeah, yeah. So that's I mean that's a big part of it anyway, you know. Um, and as I say, that's not not entirely unique, but we are in this um, this position where you know no one's getting paid for a review. Well, I mean, they are getting paid. Yeah. to write it obviously they're getting paid for their words but yeah. no one's you know there's no sponsored reviews or anything like that we don't do anything weird like no, that no, no. so um you are getting uh, absolute honesty and sometimes you see magazines in there in the same section as in the, the board gamey sort of gaming section mm. and you see magazines which are just advertorial um and you see this on kickstarter as well you see magazine magazines being put together but people pay 500 quid to write five pages mm. and that's advertorial and mm. people back it and buy it and it's weird um you know so it's interesting you said that i was involved in a conversation on twitter just um last night actually mm -hmm. um with um some reviewers discussing this um including um mm -hmm. matt throw i don't know if he's someone yeah 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 read, read some of that stuff yeah. so um and i gotta say from my personal publisher experience i gotta be careful how much i say here <laughs> but i am very very unconvinced that a lot of the paid for stuff even drives much value. So let's say uh, I am a ruthless game marketer mm -hmm. and I want to uh, get as many backers as possible. Mm -hmm. Based on my ruthless measurement, mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that the, of those paid, that paid stuff even works. Uh, when I looked at who, who was coming to back the Kickstarter mm -hmm. for, for Magnate, for example, the top earned media reviewers mm. um not only beat all of the um preview stuff mm. but they beat all of the advertising five times over 
yeah, people want real reviews. Right, right. So, so I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've questioned a lot of this. I find this entire aspect of the industry kind of interesting. Mm. Um, I used a previewer in the process of doing Magnate because it was partly yeah. an insurance policy. Very fortunately, it turned out that lots and lots of people wanted to review it and do mm. genuine coverage of it and were really interested in, in just, just for its, its sake. And um, I also don't, I don't want to denigrate any of the previewers here and says, I, you know, they, they did a pretty solid job. One of them that I did, I wasn't hugely impressed by it. I'm not going to say who it is, but in general, that paid content just didn't do very much. So mm. I find this quite interesting why there's so much of it, because I'm just like, looks like it would just fail. Yeah, I mean, what I'd say is like people should take out an advert if they want to advertise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will. I will say, however, we we one thing we do do that is paid that involves the editorial team is we do um, preview videos now because mm. uh, we have access to the studio uh, and that sort of stuff. So, um, but that's kind of still separated because we're not we're not reviewing it. We're just giving overviews and stuff like that. Mm. And also, it's usually for Kickstarters, so we're not even going to talk about it for a year. Yeah, most of the time on any kind of editorial like review level where you're getting a real verdict or anything. Yeah, um, and also we obviously we only work with people we like as well. So um, we, yeah, just yeah, to say, yeah. just say like not to completely say that we're in, in, entirely pure and un, unmuddied by money in some way, but um, uh, just to, to get that in there. But um, and they're very successful as well. That's and sorry to say they're they're very successful in terms of the reach they get. Mm. And yeah, so in that in that sense, they're they're successful. In terms of, as you say, the hard end where you are, with it's like, do people back it from, mm. um, from paid media? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's where I, I have to land. I, I it's one of these ones where I aspire to be something to being as transparent as I feel I can be on those things with people because mm -hmm. I I do feel like that would it would change the conversation a little bit. My yeah. sense of it is, and I'm going to be maybe take a bit of a risk here is that some of the previewers and again i can't speak to um to, to what tabletop game magazine does mm. but if i took it, some of the previewers in the in the wider market the video ones it seems like the business is more about there are people who can't get reviews by really good reviewers simply because you know you have a very small number of games you can review even when you apply those filters we talked about earlier mm. for tabletop game magazine it's still you know you've got to look for the things that are hits what looks really promising People have got their lovely little darling project Kickstarter. Mm. It probably hasn't been very, very optimized towards thinking about what the market really needs and what will mm. land really well. Uh, they need, they feel they need some reviews because if there's no reviews on the Kickstarter page, then they're not raising any money. Mm. So as a result, they pay for previewers. Mm. And the problem is, is that because it's, it's, it's a paid preview and people get a sense quite quickly of who the paid previewers are and who the reviewers who are not taking money is, mm -hmm. very quickly, it, it, it might drive a lot of views, but maybe doesn't drive a lot of conversions. Again, um, you, I don't have the, any broad numbers for that. I only have my own numbers mm -hmm. for that. Um, so, um, but I don't know, it, it, for me anyway, it, it questions the value of some of that. And I do feel like it might be a bit of a bubble actually that some of the paid previewers will move on and some will, will continue to be great content because if it comes from a name that they trust and it's just good reach it may do mm. well but i think it's um i mean i, I always think that uh videos done for kickstarters like that like the ones we do um so you know and our most our most recent one was for the Everdell expansions mm. um which are which are um which look great and we're just giving it giving an overview of what they are and then we covered every expansion up until then which you'll get in the complete collection right yeah and so oh, for right. us it's like 
if you want a potted history of Everdell, we've actually given you that as a as as the publisher of the tabletop tycoon or Starling Games, because yeah. um, they sort of two hats there. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, they they have got a potted history of Everdell that they can uh, they can basically chop up and use as they wish for the rest of time. Get something that's going to last you um, for the second and third reprint if it goes well. You know, um, you want the uh, setup guide and how to play and here's the expansions and all that sort of stuff. Um, you want to be able to wheel that video out for 10 years. <laughs> you know, um, that's how I think about it anyway. So, so that makes a lot of sense. So something I think it's really important for me to say at this point as well about the previews, because like mm. I said, I work with a few for Magnates, is that all the ones that worked really well were almost exactly that. So um, I had a absolutely brilliant experience working with um, Monique of Girls Game Shelf, which okay. no longer runs as a site, but um, obviously individually the creators have gone off to do different things. Um, and she did the most incredible rules video on Magnate, and mm. I am eternally grateful. It was absolutely brilliant. Very compact, very, mm. very strong. And um, uh, that was an example to me of, of actually, I think what, what you're saying, to be really fair, really good content, because it wasn't, here's my opinion that I paid for, right? Mm. And actually, I wasn't comfortable with working with anyone who would, who was taking that stance. It was more like, here's a useful description that could be useful to different people. So I had someone, for example, work with in German. Well, it was brilliant to see a um, see something in another language, which is difficult to get when you're coming from the Anglosphere. Mm. Uh, and again, it's just a, it's just a description of like, this is what the game is. This is how the way of more like it was a description to help people understand what it was. And then the same thing with another American reviewer as well. Or pre, sorry, previewer. Mm. And actually, yeah. And, and actually, as you said, there's some really more interesting creative processes potentially uh, mm-hmm. work here as well we talk about the everdale example that is something that then continues to be a useful asset which is just a, just a, a very interesting more creative take on the whole the whole thing right yeah yeah i mean i think um uh, i mean this uh, kickstarter often gets a kicking for a lot of um what people yeah you know again bunny quotes problems we have in the industry um yeah what a lot of people call problems we have in the industry anyway um and uh, I don't think it's really true in most cases, but there is a kind of um, uh, pump and dump <laughs> mechanic yeah. in there of there's a single point where everything works, everything goes into it, and then um, you kind of, you do hear, obviously you do hear from creators um, after that point, but everything that happens after that is you're only talking to the select, really talking to select group people who've already backed it. Yeah, um, You're no longer talking to the world yeah um so and then and so then in terms of um adding to like a greater conversation about gaming or you know any any sort of uh philosophical point that you want to make around that kind of thing you've already closed yourself off to a group of people who are only interested in the product yeah or the stuff um yeah makes sense and so as you say uh getting something that lasts a bit longer um, and does contribute beyond that. You know, it's something that's going to be useful for when it does come to retail, actually, even though you didn't intend it to come to retail when you kickstarted it, you know. Um, I mean, I want to, just, to, just to just shout out mm-hmm. to Monique again. That rules video mm-hmm. was phenomenal. And I, and I can, I, it, it is one of those things where that actually will be, even though it's for the prototype version, it will still be doing a really good job for people to help them learn the game. Yeah, exactly. If they choose not to use the package tutorial, which I suspect <laughs> they probably will, because... Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it, but if they choose that, it, it kind of ultimately makes sense. I mean, I, I looked at doing a rules video for Magnate, a kind of retail rules video, video mm. and actually came to the conclusion that in some ways it undermined the um, value that I placed in the tutorial by making it look like I'm hedging my bets, whereas that tutorial I'm really bloody proud of. Yeah. And actually, I think it will do an excellent job. So, um, ha but, but for some people, there will be people whose learning style will instead be um, the rules video and having Monique's video there really will, will be huge, I think, for that. So I'm, I'm really glad about it. So you're right, there are these, there are pieces of this puzzle. And I think it, it, it is a bit simple just to talk about saying, oh, it's all bad, there's all problems here, when actually there's, there's a, it's a more subtle picture. Yes, exactly. But it is an interesting one, and I'm glad we've been able to actually discuss this one up front, because I feel like it's sometimes a discussion that's had in maybe the overly hushed tones, yes. perhaps. <laughs> and it's good to be able to explore the nuance of the question a little bit as to what yeah. works, what doesn't work. Um, and certain things have asset value, you know, as just brilliant little creations that go way beyond um beyond necessarily an initial oh we, we're paying for this for, for conversions which is i think not the way necessarily to look at it. yeah i mean um so just uh to echo that kind of sentiment and um uh, so i have a and one of the reasons i'm quite happy to talk about this stuff mm. openly and, and possibly in slightly rude terms i suppose <laughs> depending on who's listening um <laughs> uh is that uh, i have a i have a sordid past in marketing you know, um, I, I, I did um, <laughs> copywriting and I ran, you know, ran teams of copywriters, did um, SEO, marketing, that sort of stuff, uh, PPC, like all that sort of like online digital stuff, right? Mm. And um, one of the sicknesses that marketers get is they destroy the product by looking at too many graphs. Mm. Um, they destroy the thing they're uh, meant to be holding central mm. to everything they do yeah. and um that is something that is a, a a general function of our like um datafied society or whatever i guess yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. I, and you know i'm going to sound like someone who's claiming about claiming they've been shadow banned on facebook or something but like <laughs> everyone just cares about the likes or someone you know that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, but um but it, it does it does a weird thing to your head doesn't it to say that something is better than something else because a number says so and oh God, um yeah. it's a distancing tool that is used by marketers um because it's because the measurement is also a distancing tool because having the measurement uh while uh good sometimes for measuring something and saying this line line goes up and that's good yeah. um uh it also um obfuscates uh whether the thing that's being sold is good or bad or what people want anything like yeah. that and that's a question and that's a question that people should like always be asking themselves when they're when they're marketing something is like um not just i need more clicks mm. it should be is this product still good is it still what's right or do we need to change the product do we need to do something differently yeah. um uh you know, and there's obviously all sorts of things you can do around. You know, are we talking to the right people and stuff like that? But, but in, in general, um, just keeping keeping in mind that you are you you have you have something of worth that is central that has nothing to do with lines going up and down mm. um, is uh, like a really important thing for marketers because if you lose sight of that and you just and you forget about the product, you just look at the the numbers, you end up kind of in a weird. Um, like a postmodern, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, sort of like a void. <laughs> Completely. Uh, Completely. Which, 
and, and I think that can happen. I, I've I've not run a Kickstarter myself, um, although I'd love to. I think I think I should maybe do one just for um, the learning process. Maybe um, it's a great but, thing to do. I think it would it, it you it would learn a lot from it. Yeah, yeah I'd love. I, I I think maybe maybe I'll do maybe I'll do something. But um, uh, uh, but maybe that's not the spirit to go into a Kickstarter with. Anyway, um, uh, but doing. But I, I assume the the feedback you get in numbers from that, and all the analytical tools you have tied in with it, uh, make you try and make. It pushes you towards trying to make decisions off those numbers, mm. um, and I think that's actually very far away from the sort of uh, generative heart sort of Kickstarter and crowdfunding generally. Which yeah. is, I've got a cool thing. Are there enough people in different places? I I'm not standing outside my house waving it around saying, "Do you want to buy it?" I'm saying everyone on the internet would you all like to buy one copy of this you happen to be all over the world um you've all got the same interest and that's why we can make it happen because you can all pay for my manufacturing up front yeah yeah um and that's yeah that's the heart of it and that gets again that's something that gets lost by maybe maybe those numbers but that's that's, that's a speculation um, I, I think it's a it's a reasonable speculation my it's a really interesting one because in terms of good product management you have to stay on top of your metrics because you need something that's a sense check all the time yes. to what yeah. you're doing. But the problem becomes of the classic maxim that the moment, whatever you choose to measure will be what you optimize towards. That's it. And so if you begin <laughs> reducing your um, perspective to two or three metrics, that could get you to do terrible, terrible things. I, I think that we really forget about this. I mean, this has been the whole issue. You know, people have seen things like the Netflix documentary, like the social dilemma, know a bit about the practice of Silicon Valley, know that this has been a huge problem in terms of the, the way in which it's like, well, any amount of increasing engagement is good because increasing yeah. engagement means more eyeballs, means more time on page, means more advertising money. And, it, and it, unfortunately, it turns out that the things that people engage with the most, because we're wired evolutionary to do with this, mm. are negative things. Yep. So it's like, therefore, correct for the AI to pour more and more negative nonsense into people's feeds. And that's a really good recent real world example of that kind of optimization strategy. Yeah. And I can see the same thing happens to Kickstarter. And it's a pity because it's, it's completely logical that companies end up using it as a pure pre-order platform. The product's already yeah. been made. It's sitting in a warehouse. And really, it's just a marketing event. Yeah. It's logical. You would do that because the numbers have said so. And it's like you can use the tool that way. But it does mean that we end up in this world where um, it does get further and further away from its kind of original purpose. But yeah. I but I understand the pull of it. It's such a powerful marketing event. There are yeah. so many consumers on it to sort of say, oh, no, I will be terribly virtuous and not use that further down the mm. line is that's a difficult decision to take. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah, uh, I think. Um, so I, I spoke to um Laura, a game on tabletop, a little while ago, mm. and she um, she mentioned that they run a crowdfunding platform. Um, it's all sort of integrated a, a nice, interesting way. Um, there's no there's no uh, separate you know, backer kit thing uh, that you have to go to afterwards. You know, jump through several hoops to oh, that's to, actually, to yeah. actually get to that stuff. Um, so that's kind of their their, their selling point. Um, but um, her her feeling is that for everyone now, it's just another sales channel. And it's not even seen as like necessarily a crowdfunding channel in the way you're talking about there. So you yeah. talk about the, you talk about big companies like I think Commons maybe the best example of this where yeah, yeah. maybe it's not even a sales channel, maybe it's an advertising channel. 
you know, because you want a number that says backed in 35 seconds, 1.5 million. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, you know, because I mean, they're great numbers to stick on things, aren't they? Um, yeah, great, yeah. Uh, a million of this. Um, seconds yeah. in, in seconds. Great. In seconds, yeah. Um, but it, uh, but yeah, so I, I, her, her idea was that actually, even, even companies like Amon probably um, do rely on that part of the ecosystem. Yeah. As well, not necessarily in the upfront funding, but in the sense of to sell the game at all. Um, yes, I think well, there are a whole lot of different products that are genuinely challenging to do in a retail environment. Mm. I think we can never underestimate the power of Kickstarter's sweet, mm. sweet margin. Anyone who has done any business with distributors or retailers knows that the amount of money you're making per unit on each mm. thing you directly sell in Kickstarter is much higher than mm. you can in retail and distribution. So uh, there are lots of products. I mean, this is what the, the team behind Seventh Continent have said, um, mm. that they simply couldn't bring it to retail because it would be too expensive to do. As it happens, I actually believe that about that product, but that's another that's another story. Mm. Um, uh, that is an example, however, of, of the kind of problem people are up against. So, you know, it makes sense from that point of view. If you've got something very big and complicated, um, then with a more niche audience, probably is a better place to have it rather than assuming that you can selling it through retail could actually be a mistake yeah um something that which we need to talk about today yes and I, my listeners would not forgive me if we didn't talk about more explicitly on the nose i think is around this analog versus digital question oh yeah of the, the idea you're an analog magazine in digital space and, and in fact we had a, a someone sent a question in about this and I was going to cover it anyway because it's it's such a critical one. But the first thing I want to say is, well, let's not forget here. The magazine was founded in 2015. Is that correct? Uh, around then, yeah, around yeah. I think then. I think I think it's 2015, yeah. So what's interesting about this story is that we're not talking about a magazine which was launched uh, in the 1980s mm. and has somehow had to keep up with the times. We're talking about a magazine dropped into a world of Twitter and Facebook mm. and Instagram. So we're looking at a slightly different story here, right? In terms of, um, we're not looking at, oh, magazine's trying to keep up, but actually more like, no, magazine does something unique in the space. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so uh, the, the the story of the magazine is really that um, uh, a gentleman called, called Bob, uh, uh, who's working at Warner's Publications Group, which is where, um, which is where I, I work now, obviously. Um, uh, shout out to my employers. Um, they are... Uh, uh, they put together a single issue of um, the magazine, issue number one. Um, Warner's deals in um, niche subjects, so obviously right. it makes sense yeah. that um, board games in 2015 um, would still be considered by the WH Smith's market um, as a niche subject uh, yeah. for, the, for the most part. Um, and they... they they took they took the uh, they took a stand at uh, UK Games Expo uh, and they sold out immediately and everyone said when's the next issue, and uh, they said oh well it's meant to be annual actually, um, and they were told that they need it needs to happen faster than that, um, and so they went uh, twice a year and then they went uh, bi monthly uh, and eventually uh, this is when uh, uh, Bob left at some point uh, Matt took over uh, who's now at Dicebreaker um, right. and. Um, uh, they, they went monthly, uh, and then Matt left, and I'm here uh, churning a monthly magazine about board games. Which, um, if you think if you think about that acceleration, 
that was all driven by directly by consumer demand. Um, so uh, it, we, no one went in saying there needs to be a monthly magazine about board games. Right. Um, it just got to a point where people were asking for it directly from us. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, um, what's this place in the world now? Um, well, it does it does all those things that I think I kind of covered a little bit yeah, earlier yeah, about about yeah. being about being on paper you know um and what does uh, that mean in terms of subscribers because like that's mm. a question i if, if i can oh, ask that question uh, is is exactly you mentioned that the we, we've talked already a little bit about what it does a little bit uniquely i think in the space but is around um is that is that showing in subscriber counts is that is that still on a growth curve that your subscribers are growing very strongly has it reached a kind of stable equilibrium yeah we're, we're very uh, i mean our subscriber numbers are very stable you know um we uh, we get a lot of um, uh, single issue buyers as well, um, okay, or people who buy. For, what usually happens is things like people buy a um, a one off issue because of one one um, article, and then eventually they'll get a quarter uh, subscription. Then they'll decide actually they should just get it all the time. Right. Okay. Uh, it generally generally seems to be the the pattern for it. So um, uh, yeah, so the the numbers are fairly good. I mean, we we. Uh, you know, recently had some Digimon cards on the front cover, and that tends to sell things uh, right, a little bit yeah, quicker. So, um, issue fifty-two completely sold out um, a couple of days after being on sale. Um, and what's the kind of can you tell me? Do you have circulation numbers you can share? Um, I think I think we print like twenty thousand or something like that uh, when you add it all together. Um, so, you know, fairly fairly chunky uh, market there. And um, I think I think the thing and. To come back to your actual question, which is, um, we're not just a magazine in a digital world. We also have a website uh, where we um, try and put as much news as we possibly can on before everyone else does. Uh, we do occasionally get a little scoop, which is quite nice. Um, all our reviews go on there now as well, right. so you, you can you can get our reviews um, online as well if you refuse to buy a magazine. Um, there are uh, we've got our YouTube channel where we're slowly climbing towards. Right, yeah. um, uh, more more video content, um, uh, often reworking sort of classics that we like um, in uh, a format where one of us teaches the other one the game, and then we right, talk about okay. why we why we like it. Um, and so you get a bit of it's a bit of an actual play, a bit of a how to, and a bit of a um, uh, sort of more general. Um, we have a feature in the magazine called uh, "Have You Played," which is kind of just like a. It kind of is that it's like have you played this game it's really good it's just like a pure-hearted recommendation um mm -hmm. of maybe a game you just forgot existed or went out right, really quickly yeah. or something like that you know uh always very timely for some reason um so or we always get in second edition do you know what i mean that sort of thing um and so with with aunt's kind of answering that question like have you played this and then that sort of thing um then we have a podcast as well and so we are the answer is that um the magazine is just the beating heart of everything, um, and really. Uh, so even if you pick up the digital edition of the magazine, uh, which is uh, comes through a, a subscription service called Pocket Mags, right, um, yeah. you will, in that Pocket Mags version you'll get things like we'll have little audio interviews where we in, oh, embed embed a little bit. Of, basically, stuff we couldn't fit in, maybe, or just um, if there's just a funny bit, sometimes we add that in. Um, that sort of thing. So we're doing all these little bits of um, digitizing our, our content across the whole spectrum. Uh, and then, of course, we have the massively successful TikTok 
uh, channel as well, where Charlie okay. does very, Charlie, uh, who's our uh, online editor, uh, who does, does most of the news writing. Um, she and uh, does some very good um, features in the magazine itself as well, um, and reviews, uh, where she does very silly things uh, for other people's amusement. Right. Um, so <laughs> um, she's very good. Very so that, good. so my question then would be, where do you see it in the future? So is, is it the case that you think for a long time that the print magazine is still going to be the beating hearts? Uh, and the reason I ask this is mm. because I also come from a bit of a magazine mm. publishing background. I ran a, a newspaper in Croydon, a local mm. news magazine, for six years, and we produced about 48 print editions of that. Mm. And um, I think we took the gamble that there would always be some demand for it. And I think there was. We, we got to about 15,000 circulation, mm. um, but that actually... Uh, the advertising model ended up not is what re, uh, didn't work for us. Mm. Local ads, I'm just convinced that maybe maybe they are just dead, pretty much. Yeah. Um, certainly for us, it didn't it didn't work out in the end. But there seemed to be some demand for it. Do do you see that going forward, or is or is actually the whole shape of the company going to change over time in terms of which parts of that mix are more important? Um, so okay, uh, full reveal. I re I take off my editor's mask, uh, peeling back. My Ta and actually, my title is head of content. For gaming, so that's across two magazines. Mm. Um, so that's uh, Miniature War Games as well, which is a fabulous magazine that occasionally has plastic soldiers in the front, um, as well as uh, uh, really, <laughs> really interesting articles uh, about uh, a lot of historical war gaming and a lot of other stuff. So, um, and we're, we're covering both of these, um, I, I cover both of these factions, and then also um, is my job to uh, make us more in line in some ways. Um, okay. I don't just mean psychologically as I am now, which is extremely online. Uh, it's more like getting us to a point where the magazine, while it remains the engine or the heart of everything, um, you can sort of, you'd be able to draw um, a perfect map of it back from some form of media that relates to it. So, um, the, I mean, the ultimate answer is that uh, the mag as far as I'm concerned, the magazine will always be there um because you know you talk about the, the advertising model there you know um uh, and you know i think in addition to 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 um the actual advertising model that uh, the newspaper suffered with um then it, you probably also suffered with the concept of um uh distrust in local news as well i think local news took a really big hit over the last um well last 10 years at least I think it's really local news really got eaten by the internet in a way that the major newspapers didn't i think um I completely agree yeah uh, so i think so i think that's slightly different to for uh, to compare to a niche magazine for example uh and i'm i'm not i'm not a salesman but um if i was going to sell you the concept of why you take an advert out in a magazine it's because you've you're talking to someone who's already paid for the privilege of seeing what's in that magazine yeah completely yeah and uh the number of um uh you know you even say ah oh, well you know um if i do an advert on your website that will um or anyone's website in fact or board game geek or anything like that um that will technically be be seen again money quotes by this many people yes but their intention is nothing to do with um uh your affinity with that website people's yeah. You know, it's not it's not given the same the same traction. It is it does remain effective. I will say, I think online advertising does remain effective in some ways. Um, but I think in terms of the magazine itself, you know, just having this 
literally brought in audience um, does make it a, a viable long-term platform and it's it's proven to be so far you know even through covid we put we still put out 100 pages of the magazine every month you know even when uh games were bobbing on outside china in big container ships um, yeah 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 you know we we still did it because um not only because you know it's it's a lifeline to people it's an important thing to do um uh it it was important not to shut down yeah it was very important because we are um, as I say, we, we were a lifeline to some people, and just a way for people to um, still enjoy their hobby. Um, yeah. Also, just like uh, the gaming world still existed, mm. and we didn't want to ignore mm. it. <laughs> Even yeah, you know, completely. Um, you know, uh, it's they were some of the most quite strange issues. I will say um, we did yeah. a couple of like retro reviews and stuff like that, which is actually a really nice chance to talk about yeah, some older games. Something again. So, so you think then, yeah. in terms of where you see the future of this, is mm. that it could just be that it will it might gradually transform into the different mediums as they arrive, but it continues. Yeah. The magazine continues looking like really print magazine at the beating heart with actually this sort of satellite of different things around that are taking on more or greater importance as time goes by. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So you could, you, you know, you. There will be uh, there will be a point where there's more people watching our YouTube channel than are subscribed to the magazine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that that's yeah that's perfectly fine because it, but the thing is they're not equivalent. And that's really interesting. Yeah. And the way you know the way we put out 100 pages of a magazine every month means that the amount of content we're creating is pretty huge considering the size of our team. Yeah. Um. You know, the editorial team in house is only two people. And then, obviously, all of our lovely, lovely freelancers. Um, it's just, it's just a way of us finding where our place is in in that world. Yeah, beyond beyond the magazine, and um, hopefully, it's in the nice, contemplative world of talking about games like this completely. for a little bit. Uh, but, completely, uh, completely, uh, and uh, more Twitch streams and stuff like that because I really like doing those Twitch streams. Right, yeah, but um, uh, you can't always find the time, but. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah. trying to do a few. We're, at the moment, we're trying to do a few good things, a few things well, which is more video and more uh, podcasts. Makes and sense. Then, Makes a lot of so, sense. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's something you know. Another time, I'd love to talk about in more detail. Yes, I think endlessly. That, that, oh God, that question about the future of of media is one that is close to my heart, and I think is is really interesting to spend mm-hmm. some more time on. So, um, before we wrap up, mm. um, I have got one question that I think hopefully lots of our more publishing audience would be interested in which Ooh. is this i'd like to know what your top three tips are for Ooh. a publisher looking to get the attention of the media for their game what should um, they be doing to do that and, and you mean publisher of board games yes publisher of board games publisher of board games um or you know tabletop miniatures games war games anything mm-hmm. in that anything in that kind of broad category um the best thing to do because the people you're going to be talking to are probably people like me um, if you just want coverage, you just want to, you just want someone to see it. The best thing to do is send a physical copy of whatever it is to that person. Uh, talk to them. Um, there is, I feel, a lot of shy people in this industry. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. I like, I, I, I read every email. If even if I don't get a chance to get back to you, I read every email. Yeah, um, I'm yeah. like San, I'm like Santa like that. Um, so. <laughs> uh, and just not the not the uh, working at home gut as well. Um, so it's yeah. I think I think it, you know 
this industry like any industry when you're talking to the media is a contact sport so mm-hmm. stay in contact you know yeah. that's 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 ultimately the thing um and then just being really useful with things like here's a load of really useful high quality assets that you can actually print yeah um i think being just being uh upfront um vaguely organized um yeah. and just and I, that's not that i don't work with anyone who's not organized to be honest so it, I've, I've never really encountered that problem but there's there's levels of hey here's our dropbox uh we we upload all our new assets into it for media as we go add it to your dropbox yeah um, that's that's like oh well you are that's you are my you're, you're my you're my you're my favorite because it means that i don't have to have five emails with you asking talking to you about dpi um i was gonna say just just, just <laughs> say this right now we're talking 300 dpi 300 right? dpi for print. 300 dpi high quality product <laughs> yeah. imagery let's just be let's call um, that out for specifically what it should be 72 for screens absolutely fine you can yep. put pretty much anything on a screen yeah <laughs> it will do M- multiple versions in the same folder i mean we might as well get to this detail right because there'll be some yeah. people who'll be interested in, in hearing about this and hopefully it could shortcut your job in the future as well so, um so um, if, if, yeah, if anyone works with well. uh if anyone works with um uh ross connell um of uh, more games pieces i believe you, you, you did for magnet yes he did phenomenal products yeah really, really they are absolutely yeah. incredible those photos i think so great um i mean aside from just hire ross um yes. uh the the advice is to do what he does which is you get your nice cutout um product shots uh which you can use absolutely everywhere including with the reviews in our magazine uh, but then also when you're doing an interview with us, we might want some sexy ones as well. Yeah, yeah. So Ross will do some sweeping half fade in, half fade out. Um, what's it called? Tilt, uh, tilt focus. Is that right? Yeah. Some, something, something like that. Like that. Um, yeah. he'll, he'll do some very clever things like that. Um, and, uh, have those in a separate folder called artistic shots or something like that, which I do see quite a lot now, which I really like just the, the option of me being able to go through, okay, here's because as I, uh, to say again, for us, we're a commercial magazine. We need to. As much as I say we we don't need um, we don't necessarily need to always talk about what's in the box. We do have a section with every review which tells you what's in the box because <laughs> yeah. it's an important piece of thing. Yes, <laughs> people want section. to see when I say when I say there's some massive minis in this. Um, you you do just want to see like um, your regulation size uh, uh, wooden cubes next to a massive mini, uh, even if it's in the generalized product shot. That's really really. Know it. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. completely. Um, so uh that's in th- so that's in terms of uh once you once you've got through let's say um but most people in the industry if if they're like me uh are driven entirely by novelty <laughs> so <laughs> so tell me what your game is i want to have a look anyway um if you can spare the the review copies absolutely send them and that's almost all it needs to be if there's if you're a uh publisher and you have available designers um who might want to talk um let me know uh, mm-hmm. uh because there's 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 some some publishers will come to me and say hey uh you know i've got um i've got the brands so they'd like to have a chat about the new exit puzzle game um and uh and that's that's cool and that's that's really good and really useful because it gets me straight to the meat of it which is we can just we can just talk straight away um whereas other times i'm chasing through a couple of channels because actually the game wasn't was because the designer is actually um in eastern europe or they're in america or something like that so actually the people i'm talking to about this distribution of this game which is the one i can cover because it's available in the uk the people i'm talking to there are actually just the distributor the the, you know, the second or third publisher of the game 
and actually they have to bounce back through a couple of people to get, right. to get there. Saying all that, of course, this is one of the most open industries in the world as well. Yeah, yeah. So, and I feel like the difference between um, talking to uh, Rainer Knizia or Eric Lang um, or yourself mm. or um, or Andre at Games Omnivorous, yeah, uh, yeah. talking to any of these people, there is literally no difference between them at all because yeah, everyone's yeah. just very nice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and everyone's just like, ah, excellent, another excuse to talk about games. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Too damn right. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, I and mean, that's very useful. I think that that should be great advice. I think for anyone who's interested in getting a kind of coverage. Um. So then, um, to wrap mm. up. So, mm. anything we should be on the lookout for from Tabletop Gaming Magazine sometime soon? Bearing in mind, I know you don't know exactly when this episode is going. I say, when does this episode come out? So, um, I will just dive in regardless. Uh, at the end of March, if this episode has not come out yet, we are doing a spring showcase, which is a bit like our virtual uh, virtual show of last year, which we did. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, which you were part of last year. Yes, um, uh, you did a, a panel on building games with uh, uh, yeah, with Bears yes. uh, and yeah, Gil. Um, and... Um, we are doing a spring showcase and it's all just announcements people chatting showing off the new games and sort of play testing but not necessarily so if you've got a tabletop simulator version of your game available anywhere uh or uh on, on other simulated platforms um we're, we're going to make space for you to just say hey here it is over that weekend we've got um announcements from people like free league um we've got a, a really interesting and this is a bit niche uh game genic um, who make okay. cards, card sleeves, and stuff like that? You might actually oh. really like this in terms of pro the product end of things. Oh, uh, they make yeah. some really, they make some really nice boxes, and they've got some. Uh, they showed, they showed off some like totally new stuff that no one's seen yet. Yeah. Um, so uh, that might be actually an interesting niche for you personally yeah. in terms of like yeah. because they are uh, basically magic boxes, uh, as far as I can tell. And then we've got playthroughs of games like um, Necromodes. Uh, played a bit of Frosthaven with with Isaac. Um, so we, and we really reveal a few monsters there, and then you watch, um, you watch uh, me be sort of uh, like vaguely alpha gamed by him because obviously he made the game. He knows what's the best thing to do is. And I'd hope he'd be pretty good at it. You know, that's it. He's, yeah, it's your boy. He's pretty good at Frosthaven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's all going on on the twenty uh, seventh, twenty eighth of March, so the Saturday and Sunday uh, there. Um, and it's all pre-recorded. You can just turn up. We'll be tweeting about stuff that's going live throughout the day. Um, but you don't have to, like anyone who's involved doesn't actually have to work on that weekend unless they really want to. Um, uh, the only people that will be working that weekend will be us. Um, and that means that uh, there'll be a nice sense of buzz. We've got so many people turning up to the, the website to enjoy this virtual show last time. Um, so that's the next exciting thing to come from us. And then there's loads of other video stuff coming from us as well. Um, we've we've got um, just more sort of explorations of games that we like and things like that. So come join us on uh, on YouTube there, Tabletop Gaming Mag on that one. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. And if people if people want to follow you, um, I guess they can they can find the, the magazine quite easily on Twitter, Tabletop yes. Gaming Magazine. Whack that into Google. The links are going to come up. Yes. But um, if they want to kind of follow you personally or what you're doing, oh, yeah. do you have a personal Twitter account which you tend to use? Yes, yeah, well, you're more than welcome to follow me. Um, and my retweets of uh, bits of poetry and like um, and, strange, and strange articles and things like that. So, um, my other sorted past is I used to run a literary uh, newsletter, uh, which I was recently oh. um, skewered by an, an interview, <laughs> interview I did. 
um with ben maddox with five days for doomsday uh, uh, five game five games for doomsday sorry yes, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, oh that must have had a massive reach in the yeah, tens yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and <laughs> And he was—he wasn't wrong. Um, so uh, that's uh, at CJ Eggett. That's C J E W G E W T. If you wanted to follow me on Twitter, there, um, I—I like seeing that number go up, despite everything I said before. I'd like seeing the data points. That's why it works. We love those graphs. Those graphs <laughs> with the steepening curve. That's what that's we it. like. Yeah, that's it. And on that note, uh, thank you so much again uh, for joining um, me. This has been a real pleasure. This has been absolutely brilliant. Um, and I hope you will come back again because there were so many things on my list that we left off in terms of discussion. Um, yeah, and please come back again. Um, absolutely any time, uh, as you know. Um, and uh, thank you for having me. I don't get to say that very much. So I was about to say um, thank you for joining me. But that's not right. That's yours. That's your line. Producing Fun is produced by Naylor Games. If you enjoyed the show, follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, or other major podcasting platforms. Remember, Producing Fun is also a product, and it thrives on feedback. So please leave a review wherever possible, or simply send me your feedback directly. You can message me on Twitter, at Naylor James, or write me an email, james at naylorgames.com. Until next time.